Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth in Rhythm Mothership, Alvin Taylor, a renowned drummer who since the 1970s has worked with dozens of top rock, R&B, and funk artists. Those collaborations include Eric Burden, George Harrison, Sly Stone, Billy Preston, Bill Withers, Gil Scott Heron, Elton John, Natalie Cole, and America. As a teen, he was a member of Little Richard's band and shared the stage with legends like Jimi Hendrix and Elvis Presley. Alvin, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm doing real well, Scott. Thank you for asking. How about you? I'm doing well as well. So thank you. And thank you for joining the show. Much appreciated. So happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. You're coming to us from where today, Alvin? From Palm Springs, California. Uh, my home where I was born and raised. Wow. The desert, for those that don't know, it's uh, about uh, two hours or so outside Los Angeles and a uh, very nice area. Yeah, I have a lot of desert cities uh, in the uh, desert area here, including Cathedral City, Rancho Mirage, Palm Desert, uh, Palm Springs, Indio. It's a great, uh, it's where the, uh, it's known as the Coachella Valley, uh, the area that's known as the Coachella Fest, known for Coachella Fest. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I never got out to that, uh, regretfully, but you know, I grew up in Los Angeles and I spent many a spring break in Palm Springs as a teenager oh. and, uh, through college. Oh. So those oh, were good boy. times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wild times. Uh, it's uh, sort of like the, uh, in the, uh, Florida, they have the, um, uh, what area is that in Florida? It's famous for spring break. I don't even know. Cause I'm from the West coast, but, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think it's Palmdale. I mean, Palm, um, Palm Beach, Florida. I don't know. Yeah, something like that. <clears throat> In any case, uh, great to join the show and uh, looking forward to uh, getting into talking about uh, drumming and, and uh, some of these great artists that you've worked with. So, Alvin, how, how did you, you know, first get drawn to, to drums? And, you know, did you have formal training or you just kind of fell into it or what happened? Well, um, no, no formal training whatsoever. It's just um, all heart and soul. And what I call uh, growing up as a young boy, uh, what we call um, uh, controlled by the Holy Spirit. And um, it's just in church, uh, basically. That's where I got my uh, start. Um, I, I recall Sunday mornings being, um, you know, um, well, you know, my mom worked all through the week uh, as a maid. <clears throat> and it's all dressed up with, with a white uniform, but on Sunday morning, it was the best dress and perfume all around the house. And, <laughs> you know, and off we would go with a, you know, with a suit on to church and we sit there and, um, the, uh, what I really liked about the church, which was uh, different and a, a little unusual, uh, different from other churches, was that they had instruments. You know, they had guitar player and like bass player. Like, whoa, this is pretty powerful. One guy, um, he played uh, played spoons and tambourine. I thought that was pretty unique. And played uh, and um, the strummer was pretty. Um, pretty nice. Uh, I used to like hear him and kind of like the sound of the drums. And uh, the church that I was uh, basically attending was known as a holy roller church for lack of another word. Uh, but it was known as a Pentecostal movement. And people would get all excited and jump up and dance and shout and hallelujah and scream and yell and uh, roll over on the floor, and and so the band one when one morning got to going. Boy, I tell you, the drummer got up and he's like, you know, exit stage left. He's uh, on one foot, like you know, um, <laughs> talking about the moonwalk. Boy, this guy's on one foot moonwalking, and um, as he's like moving off the drums, I'm thinking. Shouldn't the beat continue? <laughs> it's like, I'm eight years old. I'm like, and I, of course, I had thought about drums and I had heard them before. And I'll tell you more about that later. But I thought, wow, this is my opportunity. And so the drummer got up and went down the aisle, floating down the aisle. And there I get on the drum and I start playing. And the next thing I know, after church, uh, when everybody gathers together, um, the... Um, 
ladies are talking. My mom is saying, oh, Miss Eula. You know, my mom is Eula Taylor. Miss Eula, that boy sure know how to play them drums. Oh, you ought to get him a drum set. And my mom said, why don't I get your son a drum set? <laughs> so anyway, it's just the uh, next thing I know, I ended up playing drums. Um, the other thing was, that was the basic concept and idea from where I got my idea about playing drums. The other one was uh, we had two parades in Palm Springs um, during any given year. Every year annually, we'd have the Desert Circus Parade and the Palm Springs Rodeo Parade. And before each one of these events started, they would have a parade, uh, the Desert Circus and, and the Rodeo. <clears throat> and so um, I remember sitting, waiting uh, for the parade to get started, and I'd hear this thunderous roar sound way in the background. <clears throat> sound like an engine trying to get started, you know, it's just, and it's like, man, um, uh, I, I hear them a mile away before. It seemed like by the time they got up on me, the closer they got to me, uh, the closer they would get, the more my shirt would start pounding, beating. My heart was just like beating with uh, every beat of the drum. And I was excited about it. And they get up on me and it's, drum major with this tall hat and the baton that he's twirling and the whistles blowing calling the formations. I was like, oh my goodness. And then I'd see this row of drums and they would like boom boom oh man, yeah, they would pass right by me. I yes, I know. That's exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to be a drummer, you know. So that's there you are. That that's what happened. Wow, that makes quite an impression on a young man. Um, yeah. I remember hearing those uh, marching bands oh. when I was growing up, hearing like, uh, you know, the USC marching band and yeah. uh, those kind of uh, bands. And uh, yeah, really uh, felt, you know, deep in your insides. Um, you know, it just occurred to me while you were talking, I remember that Florida spring break location, Fort Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Palm Springs and Fort Lauderdale. Um, so Alvin, you you got the bug. You got you got you know the drum drums in you. Um, at what point? You know, I know you started playing with folks pretty young. You know, when you're a teenager. So, at, at what point did you sort of get your your first break in terms of uh, you know playing out in front of people and the road that led you to playing with Little Richard? Well. Um... <clears throat> there was a guy by the name of Bill Oaks and he was a songwriter. He wrote great songs and wanted to start a band called the American Eagle Blues Band. And I became the first drummer with that band. And um, we would just do high school uh, sock hops and uh, so they were called at that time. We do a few gigs locally around town. The band became pretty famous and and um, powerful. And I remember during the summer, it was during the summer I wanted to get a job. I got a job at the car wash and didn't like the car wash too much. It was getting, they, they had me in a position which was called the duck position, I guess. 
the reason is uh, apropos because you get wet, you know? <laughs> and, and I mean, literally as wet as a duck in the positions that I was in because you had the mitts and you have to wash the car and on each side and then it would go to another rinsing stage. But we had these big mitts that we'd wash the car down and literally get wet because we duck these mitts in the car. I mean, it, isn't it, it wasn't that a benefit if you were in the hot desert? Well, you know, actually, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that about because it, it was fun in that regard. But the, the soap was really, uh, it was kind of like some lie. I mean, it was, this stuff was really, I mean, mm. you, you would get this stuff on your, your the, the palm of your hands and the, like the, I forget what you call this part, the wrist, uh, the wrist, you get the soap around there and it would really hurt and you'd have to get kind of calamine lotion and stuff like that to put on to soothe your arms. But anyway, I didn't like that too much. So I decided to become a bus boy. Well, actually I started working as a dishwasher first at the Biltmore Hotel. And uh, the Biltmore Hotel in Palm Springs is a, um, pretty powerful place. Uh, you know, any given night, you know, you're liable to run into someone like Lucille Ball, or Joy Bishop, and various different uh, famous art, um, actress and actors that would come in there. Bob Hope, maybe. Yeah, yeah, sure. And um, and uh, there was a band called the Soul Patrol that played there, and. Um, the drummer would get totally inebriated and couldn't do the set. He would sit out and the music would, would go on. And I would think, wow, well, if the music's going on, shouldn't the beat go on just like in church? And so I, you know, I told the, the guy, Arky, I remember his name, the guitarist. I just, I don't know what his real name was, Arky, but I do remember the drummer's name was Ernie Hernandez at that time. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I asked uh, Arky, uh, you know, he'd be interested in knowing that I was a drummer and that I could play, you know, with him. And he was like, ah, you're the bus boy. And I, I said, but I can really play. He says, okay. He says, well, Finally, after me telling him a few times, he decided, um, you know what, why don't you come on a Saturday and let me see what you can do. The drummer's not going to be around and his drum set's here. You know, he'll never know you played on his drum set unless you don't take care of it or whatever. So, remember the one Saturday morning showing up and actually auditioning for Arky, and he was like, oh, oh, my goodness, I can't believe that this guy, this kid's, you know, 13 years old, amazing drummer, and um, was just getting ready to turn 14, excuse me. At the time, I was just getting ready to <clears throat> turn 13, 14. I was about 13, and as they would say, 13 and a half, you know. <laughs> so... The um, leader of the band, Arky, asked the owner of the hotel if I could sit in with the band if the drummer wasn't okay to 
to uh, work, you know. And I think the owner knew that the drummer would get inebriated. It's like, okay, well, you know what? As long as his tables are bust and uh, everything's clear, I don't, I don't mind. Yeah, just make sure his tables are clean. <clears throat> don't have him up there on the stage and there's a bunch of dishes waiting on the table. You know, I don't want my tables ready. So uh, the owner consented to do so. And one night the drummer got drunk and he set out. I set in. In walks Sammy Davis Jr., Little Richard, Billy Preston, and Frank Sinatra. All at the same time. Little Richard, Sammy Davis Jr., Billy Preston, um, Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra. They all grabbed the table. Billy Preston was with Sammy Davis and Frank Sinatra? Yes, he was. And Little Richard was also with them. And, oh, yeah. <clears throat> I'm not... I couldn't imagine this as like kind of an unusual bunch, you know. Uh, but what was actually happening back at in the day, Frank Sinatra acquired a record label called Reprise Records, which was distributed by Warner Brothers. And uh, Frank Sinatra had just signed Little Richard to his label. And so Richard was the newest artist on uh, Frank's. And so Frank had invited him out uh, to his home in Palm Springs and, you know, to celebrate and have a party. And so the next thing I know, they bought this party into the Biltmore Hotel where I was working as a busboy. I didn't know that at that time. I found out later on when a news reporter was asking me the same question, how he got started. He was like, yeah, Frank Sinatra, he, he really didn't believe me. So when he went and researched it and found out, and that's how I actually found out that, you know, because uh, I didn't even think about it, but I did know Richard was on Reprise Records. I just had no idea that Reprise Records was owned by Frank Sinatra. And anyway, so um, I didn't know who Little Richard uh, and I didn't know who Billy Preston was. I knew who Frank Sinatra was. I knew who Sammy Davis Jr. were. And when... Um, I was playing drums. They were like, man, look at that whole, they were like pointing at each other and it was like laughing and pointing the finger at me. And, and then later on, I found out that they were saying, Hey, you know, Richard was talking about, he needed a drummer to get his thing going. And, and uh, I just happened to be the guy who was there that they had their eyes on. I thought, okay. What, hey, what year about would you say that was? Oh, I was 14. So that it would have been about, uh, 68, 70, 69, 69, maybe 68, I think. Um, the next thing I know is um, everybody's going nuts in, in the, the uh, restaurant. Um, Richard's coming back in the uh, kitchen while I'm putting dishes away. He said, Woo, honey. He said, uh, uh, honey, I ain't seen a drummer like that since I left Macon, Georgia. He said, when I saw you play them drums, he said, my big toes just shot straight up in my boots. He said, I wanted to scream like a white lady. He said, <laughs> he said I got so excited about you playing them drums. He said, and, and would you be my drummer? And I'm like, I'm looking at Richard. I didn't know who the heck he is. That actually could to be 
you know, quite honest with you, I was a little scared. I was afraid because he, he was this guy with his headdress on with all these feathers. And I'm thinking, you know, the, you know, we got the, the Agua Caliente band of Indians and we got all these, you know, different bands, you know, uh, band of Kahuya Indians. And I thought maybe he's an Indian chief asking me to be a part of the band. You know, I, I don't know, you know, but then later on, uh, I, he asked me my mom's phone number and I gave him the number. And uh, when I got home, I said, Hey, I met this guy named little Richard. My mom said, little Richard. He says, good golly, Miss Molly, tootie, tootie, fruity, Jenny, 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 good, uh, um, Lucille. She goes, oh, I, I know little Richard. And he goes, oh, he's very famous. And I said, yeah, he wants me to be in his band. My mom said, ah, you know, get out of here, kid. Come on with us. And so sure enough, Richard gives a call to my mom and my mom's like, Oh, under no circumstances at all, period. Of course, um, Richard, not wanting to be outdone, had his manager, Bumps Blackwell, <laughs> to uh, call my mom you know, with the name Bumps. Hey, I'm going to bump you off, Bumps. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, Bumps Blackwell called and um, asked my mom, hey, what's your, you know, concern? I want to, you know, understand. And my mom was like, hey, he's not even, he hasn't even finished high school yet. You know, the kid's still in school, you know. And um, so um, Richard was, you know, Bumps, Bumps Blackwell was saying, hey, I'll, I'll make sure that he, you know, has a, a, a tutor on the road with him. Um, he'll f fly first class with Richard. He won't be on the bus with uh, with the other band members who could be an influence of a different type of lifestyle that we don't want them involved in. Uh, and he's going to be getting this amount of dollars, you know. And my mom, I think she's at that point said, hmm, wait a minute, my, um, see here, what's, what's the mortgage, the mortgage payment? Uh, when do I help him pack? So the next thing I know, I'm on the road, uh, you know, big limousine pulls up, picks me up and Palm Springs. And I end up in Hollywood at the Carolina Pine Hotel on La Brea, 1410 North La Brea, uh, right across from, they had these girls on roller skates. I can't remember the name of the place now, but it was really a neat place uh, where they would roll up on roller skates and they would feed you and, uh, so I ended up at the International Hotel in Las Vegas, opening up the show for Elvis Presley in Little Richard's band at the age of 14. And Jimi Hendrix was playing guitar. Uh, Billy Preston was playing keyboards, um, playing um, organ. And Little Richard was playing the piano and singing. And... Um, all that I remember is that <clears throat> Richard would take these things called a hiatus. And Richard said, oh, honey, you know, I'm going on a hiatus. I'm like, uh, a hyena? What's a hyena? I would ask Billy, what's a hyena? He said, a hyena? He said, no, you know, a hiatus. He says, uh, what that means is we're going to be out of work. <laughs> he said, it's a hiatus for Richard. He says, yeah, but for us, it means we're out of work. He said, but don't worry. He says, if you want to play, you know, I got this friend named Tony Jones over at Motown and he'll hook us up with all of the producers and 
uh, there's a guy by the name of Benjamin Barrett, who's a contractor. We'll get him um, to contract dates for us. And we'll never be out of work. He said, but, you know, if you, you know, want to sit around and wait for Richard's hiatus, he says, you know, you're not going to make a living. And he said, I got to make a living. I got, you know, bills to pay and stuff like that. So Billy Preston was the one that introduced me to the uh, session uh, industry. And uh, we, we were playing with various different artists from, boy, I mean, you know, Rick James, The Temptations, uh, Supremes. And I mean, you name it, we're working with everybody all over the place all the time. Never a dull moment working in the studio. Well, hold so, on. so how, how did you um, learn, learn the material? Well, it's just, uh, it, it, it wasn't really anything to learn, really. It, they had these charts, uh, and the charts spoke for themselves. So the, the piano player would get a chart, and he would give me the same chart that he had. And um, the charts at the time, I had no idea how to read but uh, all that I had to do was just follow the chart. They would teach me, hey, you know, this means a repeat. And you go back. And so when he was playing the chart, I was listening. He played the song down. And I go, okay, I can do that. No problem. So I ended up just playing. And over the years, you know, like you would see uh, a dotted half note or a dotted quarter note. And you, you begin to learn the value of those notes after repeating it. And if you see a, uh, you know, if you see that uh, and, and you're playing that, then wherever you see it again, you're like, oh, I know what that is. That's no matter how they're going to play it, what, what note they're going to play it in, that's, that's what the rhythm is. So I learned the, the sticking rhythm. I mean, I, I probably didn't learn left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left. But I learned what the beat was. And so I was able to play. I, I played everything by ear. Anything that I heard, uh, I could play it. And even if it, it didn't have a beat to it, I could put a beat to it. So you ended up just playing uh, just the one show with Little Richard? Or were there several shows? Or Oh, no. They were, we, we were there at the International Hotel for about a good month. Um, and then we would come back and do two months. And uh, so uh, that wasn't the only show. We played the King's Castle and Lake Tahoe, um, several other shows, uh, concerts, actual concerts. Who, who were some of the uh, drummers that maybe were mentors to you and also that you really emulated or idolized? Um, I, I really didn't idolize anybody because growing up, um, the only um, God in my life was uh, the God of my Savior, you know? And so I didn't really uh, idolize any. I had a great admiration for several different drummers like uh there's a guy by the name of Michael Beard, known as Pooh Bear. We call him Pooh Bear. I don't know if you ever heard of him before. The only Michael Beard I know is I think that was the name of the drummer for the Barquets at one time. 
Yeah, my, this is Michael Beard with Elvis Presley. Okay. And uh, Michael Beard, and then uh, there was a, another drummer with him. Sometimes they would use two drummers at the same time, a guy by the name of Ron Tut. I don't know if you know of Ronnie Tut, uh, but we just know him as Ron Tut. These are two names you, know, you might want to look up. Ron Tut and Michael Beard, uh, B-E-A-R-D. And they were two of the most amazing drummers I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, I saw them firsthand with Elvis Presley. I would like watch the show every night. And it's funny because, I mean, I would look back behind me in the curtain and I'd see Elvis Presley with Michael Beard and Ron Tut sitting there pointing at me too. And they were like, hey. And so I thought, hey, I'm, 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 a, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> you know, I got Elvis Presley behind the curtain with his two drummers saying, hey, this is what I want you to play like. <laughs> or check this little drummer out. And um, so, I mean, I thought likewise, and, and, and if not more, the same with them when I saw these guys play. They were the bomb. And I really liked them. And uh, so uh, then I started listening to, you know, we had Jimi Hendrix playing guitar in our band. And um, uh, Jimmy wasn't an actual member. He was just a, a, a Billy would call him a guest, you know, and uh, um, Jimi Hendrix had become pretty famous um, from England, um, a band uh, called the uh, Jimi Hendrix Experience. And uh, he had his own drummer and, um, his drummer, Mitch Mitchell, I liked his drummer, too. It kind of gave me a different perspective on the uh, fusion, kind of jazz, rock type of guy, you know. And so I learned a lot of stuff listening to him. And Of course, uh, at the time, John Bonham, that Zeppelin. Um, but then the studio killer. The guy with, that was a main crusher was a guy by the name of Pretty Purdy, Bernard Purdy. Uh, and Bernard Purdy, boy, that guy could really play some drums. He was something. And um, he um, was a major influence as well. So and I didn't care too much for um, and I like all types and kinds of drummers, but I wasn't really too much into the technical stuff. I liked Buddy Rich, but it wasn't a major influence for me. Uh, I, I like um, 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 some of the drummers in that era, but uh, from that era, but I would like more um, um, trying to think of the guy here. Uh, uh, his buddy Rich's rival, uh, Max Roach. Uh, no, no, no. Um, uh, oh boy, <laughs> I, I'm losing. I'm losing it here. I can't believe. I can't think of uh, one of the most famous drummers in the world. Um, Gene Krupa. Gene Krupa. Yeah, Gene. Gene, baby. Gene Krupa. I would love 
to be able to play drums like Jim Cooper. That guy was really hot. And so that was one of my favorite drummers of all time. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, Buddy was more technical. Buddy was kind of unbelievable to the degree that, okay, I'll never be able to play that, so let's move on. Next. <laughs> okay, so I see Gene do some things that were more palatable, and I think, okay, well, maybe maybe someday I might be able to do that. But this thing here, the one-hand roll, uh-uh, forget it. I'm not going to be able to do that ever, and I'm not even going to try. So <laughs> some of the things that Buddy Rich did is like, you know, I'm never going to try it. And, you know, for what, what reason do I need to? He, let him do that. That's, that's what he does. So let me just focus on what I can do best. So at what point did you kind of uh, get out on your own? You know, I mean, you were continuing to get tutored, I assume, for a while. And, you know, at some point you, you got to 18 or whatever. And, you know, how did that progress? Well, um. I think it was 17. I was with a band called Pacific Gas and Electric. Uh, PG&E, we had a hit record called Are You Ready? Are you ready to sit right down? Are you ready not to be alone? Someone's coming to carry you home. And if you really didn't carry on, are you ready? Anyway. Uh, That's their biggest hit, I think. Yeah, that's uh, only it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, basically, I kind of learned what it was like to uh, be around and um, the drug scene. Um, everybody was smoking marijuana and, you know, uh, some of the guys in the band were doing a little heavier stuff like heroin and I was totally afraid of needles and <clears throat> was um, was never going to do anything like that so uh, but um, I was around it but I became I, I, I grew up uh, um, on the rock scene in the rock scene being in Pacific Gas Electric we were opening up the show for a lot of people. And when we had that one hit record, we had groups like the Jefferson Airplane opening up the show for us. And um, uh, we, we were doing gigs, I remember once, uh, you know, the, that, um, that the, the, at the, I think it was the Cow Palace, the Cow Palace in um, San Francisco that the uh, Jefferson Airplane and, uh, and our opening act was uh, Fleetwood Mac. Uh, Fleetwood Mac. And then there was uh, the Jefferson Airplane and then Pacific Gas Electric. We were a big deal. We had that one record. It's really funny because the drummer, Joey Covington, and I became very good friends. And the reason I like Joey is because all these other guys that we opened up the show for it was because of their drummer that I didn't get a chance to have a sound check. And it was like, you know, what's this a power play that they won't allow me to have a sound check, but my drums have to be set uh, up in the front of these guys. And, you know, the, 
anyway, it's just, just weird. They wouldn't allow me to have a sound check. But every time I'd run into Joey, he was like, hey, you, you want to get your drums sounded? It's like, and people were looking at Joey like he was crazy. Ah, yeah, let the guy have his, let him have his, let him have his sound check, man, you know. And so, wow. And so was, I thought that was pretty cool. And when we had our hit record and Joey and their band was there, I was like, hey, let Joey have his sound check, you know. So we became really kind of like, you know, no matter how famous we are, we have a hit record. You're still just as good as we are. And we're going to respect you just like you respect us. Give you your sound check. And when Joey got killed here in Palm Springs in a car crash, I, I uh, put together this um, amazing um, homegoing service for him, um, which was a Joey Covington tribute concert where I invited, you know, Grace Lake, Moby Grape, and all of these people, various different groups from the Bay Area came and uh, What year was that? Uh, twenty. 14 or 15, I want to say. Yeah. And um, his wife, Lauren Taines, and I became very good friends. As a matter of fact, she became my manager. And uh, of course, I called her and asked her if it was okay that I would do it. And I did it with a friend of mine, uh, David Ross, here in Palm Springs in the desert. We, we co-promoted um, uh, the Joey Covington concert. I I put together all the groups and uh, called everybody and organized it. And David uh, arranged to get the tickets together and do all the administrative stuff. And um, yeah, he's a force to reckon with here in the desert as a promoter. So I love my friend, David Ross. How, going back to, to, I think it was 1970 when Are You Ready was a hit. How did you feel hearing your playing on the radio for the first time? Uh, well, it was kind of uh, scary because I'd have to look at my hands when I'm listening to me on the radio and say, hey, my hands seem like that's me. Did they have to take my hands off to put it on the radio while I'm and I said, let me make sure I still got my hands here, you know. It was very unique riding around in a car or being next to a radio and knowing that I, my hands were, were the, the hands that you were hearing on the drums for that particular song. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it, uh, it's just very... Uh, awkward feeling because it's like am i here or am i in the, am i coming out of that speaker right now you know so since i never quite figure it out um until i got smart enough to realize okay it's just a recording <laughs> and, and uh, so i can be in both places at the same time i can be where i'm at here and there at the same time must have been exciting though yeah, very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. What, what, and uh, when you when you got with Little Richard, did it? Were you, at first were you uh, using someone else's drum kit, or did you did someone buy you one, or did you? 
when did you sort of really get established with your own kit? Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, there's a guy by the name of Ken Berry, and there's a guy named Dolph Rimp, who I literally owe my life to uh, because they own a company called Studio Instrument Rentals. And uh, they had uh, they already had a place in New York and they had one on Sunset Boulevard and, and uh, Hollywood and um, they had one in uh, San Francisco at the time. I mean, now they're in Nashville and London. They're all over the world, everywhere. But um, at the time, um, I went in and I asked Ken, um, if I, I said, listen, I don't have any credit and no one wants to give me a drum set unless I got credit and, uh, it's hard to find, uh, people to want to, you know, co-sign for me credit. <laughs> and Ken looks at me and says, well, it makes you think I want to co-sign for you. <laughs> and I was like, well. I said, you got all these drum sets. And I said, you got drum sets that sitting up in the, all the, sitting up here that are not, nobody's even using. I said, and just, uh, if you give me a chance, I said, I'd pay for it. And I just can't, right now, I'm having a difficult time trying to get a drum set to go out on the road with and play. So he says, I'll tell you what, go over there. And he said, there's a bunch of drum sets there. Pick out a drum set you want. So I went over there and I looked. I said, okay, this, this looks pretty nice. And uh, it was a Ludwig set. And I thought this would be a pretty nice little set. And so Ken says, what do you think about that set? I said, I like it. He says, this is what you want. I said, yeah. He said, well, what about cymbals? He said, how are you going to have cymbals? And I was like, oh, yeah. I need those, huh? He says, uh, what kind of symbols do you like? Excuse me. Pacey's, Zildjian. Oh, at the time, I like, I like Pisces. Um, but I um, found out later on that Zildjian was a better symbol for what my likings were. But, um, yeah, I got a couple of hi-hats and about three different sizes of symbols and, and um, he says uh, I want you to pay he said pay a uh, hundred dollars um, a month he said if you can pay me for three months he says I'll call the deal off if you, could, if you he said if you don't he says I'm going to have those drums picked up so I thought wow what a bargain but at the time, I was kind of, you know, I, I, I was knowing that there wouldn't be a problem to be able to pay them. So I had money coming in. So I paid the three months, and next thing I know, uh, for a drum set that was worth at least probably eh, six or $700 maybe, uh, that I'd only paid about 300 bucks for it. And, yeah, he just gave them to me. So that was my first kit. And how, how long was that about after you had played with Little Richard for the first time? 
Um, <clears throat> maybe a year. And mm. how long did that kit last you? Uh, a couple years. Yeah, and then I ended up getting a, a set of Rogers custom made uh, with, uh, because I was with the Eric Burton band. And uh, so Jerry Goldstein uh, called uh, Rogers and made <clears throat> some kind of deal through CBS to have them to make them. Um, it was a custom ordered drum set that wasn't custom made it was just custom ordered uh the way that i wanted this uh, the configuration of the drums so jerry yeah. goldstein jerry goldstein uh manager for for war and uh and all that i understand you kind of passed it a chance to be part of that group and then of course eric burden was part of it at first and then he left and then you connected with him can you kind of summarize how how that went well, there were some things going on at the time that uh, Eric was putting together the band War. And um, I guess they had their original members, but uh, Eric always liked me as a drummer and had uh, asked me to be in the band. Uh, Jerry Goldstein had asked me to be in the band. And I, did, I didn't really want to be a part of a band. I always wanted to be an independent drummer. I, I like the idea of being able to work with in the studio with Rick James and Smokey Robinson with Marvin Gaye and, you know, uh, play some with Billy Preston. But then, you know, when you're tying me down to be uh, in a band, I, I would be more exclusive with that band. And I wanted to be able to play with a lot more people than just one band at that time. And they would have made sure that I would have been exclusive because there's so much work, you know, that I'd have to always be available for the band. And I wouldn't get a chance to play with any of the other artists. So I, I declined um, the opportunity. And I think, um, obviously, Harold Brown being, ended up being the drummer for that band, uh, which was the, the guy that they wanted anyway. Initially, the rest of the members, because they were all one package, uh, pretty much. I think they were called the, the night shift at some club. And Eric walked in and saw them and, <clears throat> on one of the night shifts and, <laughs> uh, and uh, hired the whole band. So, but we all became very good friends. Harold Browns and I are very good friends. And um, when Eric left uh, the band, uh, Jerry Goldstein advised me that he uh, wanted me to be in Eric's band and that Eric wanted me to play. So I took the gig. Yeah. Harold Brown, great guy. Um, he's been on the show. He was on with uh, uh, Lee Oscar and uh, Howard Scott and really enjoyed those guys. Um, were you surprised at all that war hit such massive success? Not at all. Um, they deserve it. Um, and I, I'll tell you, they got a real hard worker, that Jerry Goldstein. Jerry's no joke. Uh, Jerry's a serious uh, worker. He's very, 
And um, they had a partner named Steve Gold. Boy, I don't know if you know Steve Gold. When Steve Gold laughed, he'd have five different octaves. <laughs> and he'd have this, he'd have this, like going, and he would have the lower, all at the same time, four or five different octaves as he would laugh. And he was a hilarious. Uh, when Steve Gold, I think Steve Gold left a major position at Universal Pictures to become the manager for war uh, in partnership with, with uh, Jerry Goldstein as a producer. And plus Jerry owned the publishing, far out publishing, far out. So anyway, um, these guys um, really fought real hard to bring these guys to a certain place. Uh, unfortunately, uh, things happen the way they happen. And I don't know, I don't want to be the one to speak on it, but um, nobody's really happy with Goldstein. Not too much. Yeah, yeah, it didn't work out well uh, post-1970s for sure. Um, unfortunately, but, um, you know, I heard you mention and the people you were, uh, mentioning as early on, uh, Rick James, is that right? You play with Rick James years yeah. before he actually became successful. Well, no, he had already become successful. Um, but, uh, yeah, back in the day, uh, he was known with the, um, was it Stone City, Stone City Canyon Band or something like that? Stone City Canyon Band, yeah. And Rick James was with that band, and uh, they were doing some stuff on Motown, and um, at the time I was doing some sessions with them, and uh, then Rick had became a solo artist and. He was working with this girl named Tina Marie, and oh yeah, yeah, okay. And, so yeah. I, I, th I thought you were referring to like in the early seventies or late sixties when before he became famous. But yeah, so you you worked with him after he became famous with Motown yeah. and all that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I okay. did. Uh, I played drums, and I'm just a sucker for your love. Great track. Yeah, I love yeah. that one. Mm -hmm. That was actually Tina Marie's first hit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also you um, appeared, was it with Eric Burden that you appeared on Don Kirshner's rock concert in 1974? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I did a drum solo on a song called the river of blood, which was probably the highlight of that whole show. How do yeah, you feel so, about being on TV? If you if you thought you, it was crazy having your hands through the radio, how do you feel about seeing yourself on TV? Yeah, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. As you know, um, at the time, <clears throat> no drummer um, did what I did, um, and it, everybody was sort of nervous about it. But it wasn't because I had such a beautiful looking body that I chose to do it. I just decided that, hey, I am not going to sweat 
and get my clothes all wet and not have me dry clothes to put on, you know, and um, I'm just going to take my shirt off when I drum. And boy, what did I do that for? I got girls attacking me on stage, running on, on stage. And, and I did done, done Cursor Rock concert. I did a, uh, a actual a drum solo on a song called The River of Blood. And you could see that uh, Don Kirshner Rock concert in 1974 with Eric Burden, the, the River of Blood, the Eric Burden band. You can Google it on YouTube. It's still on there today. And I'm actually doing a drum solo. I never, ever seen a drummer do that before. And then all of a sudden it became um, a... Um, um, the norm for drummers to do that now it's like uh, drummers do that now it's like uh, they see other drummers do it they don't have any idea and I really do believe that I was the original I think I was the only one that had enough um, guts to actually do it and um, because I had seen uh, artists on stage before and um I don't remember who that I saw. I think it was the uh, Detroit Wheels, uh, Mitch Ryder. Mitch Ryder, yeah. And the Detroit Wheels. And I was like, ah, oh, no, he didn't do that. And I was like, okay, well, if he can do it, I can do it. You know? Devil with a red dress on? Is that? Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So I ended up taking my shirt off and. And then I thought, you know, hey, uh, the girls really like this. And, and, and some of the guys, too, you know. <laughs> so why don't I just go ahead and dazzle them, you know. And, but that wasn't the reason I was doing it. I was doing it be because I felt comfortable, um, you know, playing that way. It, it was a lot easier and, than having to sweat. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinslift.net. Thank you very much.